All right, in a rather unusual development, we decided to take Radio Parallax on the road and talk to someone about some, I guess, some politics and some Hollywood events. And as I'm speaking right now, Mr. Edward McMillan is getting a haircut. He, he is getting a haircut at Sarah's Hair Salon in Sacramento, and we're here to talk to Sarah about uh, her opinions on... Well, first of all, Sarah, welcome to Radio Parallax. Thank you so much. Now, when I was sitting in the chair not so long ago, I was lamenting the fact that uh, they're making a movie called Prince of Persia, and uh, they couldn't seem to find a Persian actor to play the role. They used Jake Gyllenhaal, who I guess is Swedish, and uh, he's of Jewish-Russian extraction. And uh, I thought, you know, Iran has quite a booming film industry. Why couldn't they find a Persian actor? And I know there is so many Persian actors right now. They're living uh, Beverly Hills. They're in Hollywood. And as a matter of fact, one of them was playing with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. I don't remember the name of the movie, but I know her name was Golshifte Farahani. And she was a she's a beautiful girl. Well, Persian and women, of course, are famous for being beautiful, but yeah. why couldn't they find a handsome, studly Persian man and to play the lead? There's so many of them. There's so <laughs> many of them. I don't know why. That's that's a little bit disappointing, but I don't know why. I really don't have any answer. I don't know why they didn't. Well, India is famous for having a big uh, film industry, but I'm I'm gathering they probably have a similar uh, film industry in in Iran. They're not as big as India is, but it's big. But they're big, yeah. They have so many, and there is also so many of them. Believe if you, we have at least about 20 TV stations down in Los Angeles, and uh, there is so many young actors over there, and they're playing their own movies over there. Well, yeah, because I mean, last time I was in Beverly Hills, I, I thought I might be in Tehran. <laughs> everybody, I thought everybody around me was, was Persian. Yeah, there is a place actually in um, Westwood. When when you go to Westwood Avenue, majority of the stores are belong to Persia. And also, um, in, in Iran, actually, it's famous by calling Los Angeles Tehrangelis. <laughs> well, I know I had some pretty good kebabs in, uh, in, in, in Santa Monica. Yeah, there's Persian. so many of them, yes. There's so many of them. And, um, you know, of course, I, I don't want to be prejudiced, but uh, Persian guys are pretty good looking. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> and now, given the beauty of live radio, Mr. Merlin is now finishing his trim job, and I'm going to sit in the chair, and we're going to talk. Why don't we talk about politics, Sarah? I mean, uh, I know you're not a big fan of the current regime oh my God. in Iran. Do you know anybody is? <laughs> well, no, I don't. <laughs> But, of course, there's a lot of people talking about how there should be military action, and I would really hate to see anything like that happen. I mean, that, that, I would like to see anything else but that. That's true. You really never want any innocent people to get killed. And every time when there is any military action, of course, lots of innocent going to get killed. Always. Yeah. You're sure they're talking about getting nuclear weapons that people are unhappy about, about that, but that hardly means anything bad's going to happen. Yeah. I don't get it. I know. I know. I don't get it either. But what can you do? Well, I, I guess if we just talk about it on the show, we can at least make people aware of the fact that, you know, this is not making a hell of a lot of sense. That, that's, what, that's my philosophy anyway. And you're right. You're definitely right. It doesn't make any sense, as you said. Yeah. I mean, because you're, you're no fan of the government, and yet, you know, I mean, you realize that there's ways to deal with a government you don't like falling short of military action. That's true. I wish I had any solution for it. I wish I could say what they should do because my information about politics is so limited. I just know whatever I hear and what I, especially what I hear about back home. When they're talking or when they're calling, uh, anytime when nobody is watching over them or doesn't listen to them. 
Because sometimes you talk and you expect to ask a question, and they just talk about the weather. They immediately change it, and you know you shouldn't talk. Right, because people are listening in. Exactly. Probably on both ends. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Sarah, thank you for talking to us about this. I know you talk to people back home, and as, as protests and things go on, maybe we can come back and talk to you about uh, what people can tell us directly. Anytime, anytime, anytime you're welcome. And I have so many things to say about politics, you won't believe it. All right, well, think about it, and we'll come back, and we'll have, we'll have a second and third sessions as time goes on. It would be my pleasure. Okay. Anyway, isn't the miracle of modern electronics great? Uh, we're, we're now, of course, back in the studio. And uh, we're, I'm looking at uh, an article sent to me by Peter from Noam Chomsky about uh, the possible future hostilities with Iran. But I think what we're going to do is sit on that one for the time being. Again, we're trying to keep the show on the lighter side. And I guess what better thing to talk about in a show that deals with psychic octopuses and faking injuries in World Cup soccer and this item from the news and notes section of UC Davis magazine, which I will now quote from. Physicists recently created some strange matter not seen since just after the Big Bang, an anti-hypertriton, composed, it says, of antimatter and, quote, strange, unquote, quarks. A paper describing the work was published online in March in the journal Science. Nine of the physicists on the project team are reportedly from UC Davis. The article said if researchers can create and study enough of these particles, they can start to address deep problems in physics, such as why the universe is made of matter at all. And I hope they can get to resolve that one, because frankly, I have been losing some sleep lately. That quote came from Manuel Calderon de la Barca Sanchez, who's an associate professor of physics at UC Davis and is a member of the project team. The article goes on to inform us that a triton is the nucleus of a hydrogen isotope tritium. In other words, a proton and two neutrons. Now, as we all know, a neutron is made up of three quarks, two down quarks and one up quark. Conversely, a proton is two up quarks and one down quark. But in a hypertriton, one of the neutrons is replaced by a particle called a lambda hyperon, which has one up quark, one down quark, and one strange quark. This is the punchline of all this, which I just can't resist. According to Dr. Calderon, a hypertriton was observed for a fleeting moment in a lab experiment about 50 years ago. That's right. Apparently sometime during the end of the Eisenhower administration, in some as yet unnamed lab experiment, for a fleeting moment, someone observed a hypertriton. No, we don't know if they'd been drinking at the lab. And we know of no associated reports of Sasquatch, UFOs, or the Loch Ness Monster. All of which, of course, have been reported for fleeting moments throughout the years. Dr. Calderon said that being able to make these anti-nuclei opens up a new field of nuclear physics. And no, I frankly don't understand this physics at all. Based on my limited understanding of such things, there's matter composed of quarks, or at least heavy bits of matter like protons and neutrons. And there's antimatter, composed of antiquarks. As far as I know, a strange quark is another kind of quark. It's not an antiquark, so this isn't antimatter. I'm really confused. You can explain this, dear listener. Please drop us a line at info at radioparallax.com. 
And, and I hope Dr. Calderon is listening because he can be of great help here. And frankly, I liked physics a lot better when it was about electrons, protons, and neutrons. When you started getting into quarks, oh, it just gets really messy. Speaking of hard-to-understand stories, how about this one? Former Vice President Dick Cheney's been given a new heart pump, which, because it pumps blood continuously, means he will no longer have a pulse. We believe that Dick Cheney has not had a pulse for some time. But we're not sure we're buying this cover story about the heart pump. But uh, jokes about vampires, zombies, and werewolves and such aside, the articles about uh, this development note that uh, patients in end-stage heart failure generally are severely short of breath and are able to walk only a few yards at a time or are confined to a bed or a chair, and this is why such pumps are put in. It usually means the person is near the end of the road, or at least certainly would be without intervention. What this probably means is the former vice president is not all that long for this world. And at this juncture, we will resist the temptation to make any wise cracks about karma. All right, from the miscellaneous file, apparently uh, those welfare debit cards that caused a big stink a few years, a few months ago when it was revealed that they were being used in various California casinos. Well, they've now taken steps to make sure that's no longer possible. Had to laugh at a quote in the article in the B a couple weeks ago about this, noting that at the Casino Royale on, on Auburn Boulevard, the first things patron pass as they walk into the gambling floor is the ATM with a sign next to it that proclaims, Exceed your ATM daily limit here! I love the quote from one of the part owners of that casino who said, She had no idea that people on welfare could withdraw taxpayer dollars from the machine and would not oppose a measure to prohibit it. But I love the quote. I'm sure we wouldn't want to be taking money from children. The adults? Hey, that's their problem. But kids? No. Let's do some science topics. I've been sitting on this item since uh, last October, because frankly, it's not terribly important, but it is interesting. It's been known for quite some time that birds are able to navigate using our Earth's magnetic field. And we hasten to add, in relation to our conversation a couple of weeks ago, this applies to male and female birds. There's been uh, some conjecture of whether birds are using their eyes to somehow see the magnetic fields or whether they're relying upon some magnetic particles which are known to be in their nostrils. Well, some researchers in, in Germany took the necessary steps to block the nerve signals that come from the eye to a certain part of the brain and also from those magnetic particles in the nostrils to the parts of the brain. It turned out that if you knocked out the signals from the nostrils, the birds were still able to navigate just fine. But when they messed up the visual processing, they had all kinds of trouble. Therefore, it appears that birds are able to use their uh, magnetic compass response by mediating this through the eye. Now, whether they're able to see magnetic lines, who knows? But somehow it's a visual thing. And I bet you they're going to figure out some application of this for human beings. It may take 10 or 20 years, but I bet uh, some of the people involved in genetically modifying organisms get their hands on this. Well, we're going to have people with compass eyes, or so we speculate. And when it comes to human navigation, how about this, uh, this item? Researchers at Tufts University tested people's map reading ability, wherein volunteers were shown maps and asked to choose the shortest route among several that were actually of identical length. These subjects appeared to show an unconscious preference for southerly routes. 
Researchers believe that they perceived those routes as going downhill <laughs> were therefore easier. On average, the subject estimated that an 800-mile drive would go faster, about 100 minutes quicker if driven north to south rather than vice versa. When asked to explain themselves, the subjects often said they expected northern routes to be more scenic and to demand more energy than southern routes, indicating a belief that northern routes required climbing into higher elevations. And by the way, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to have someone come on to rebut <laughs> some of the remarks made a few weeks back about women's reputedly poor navigational abilities. But for the record, the summary of this, uh, this item in the Week magazine does have a woman with a map. All right, final item for the show. Apparently, when it comes to giraffes, at least, length does matter. Apparently, as reported in New Scientist magazine, researchers at the University of Cape Town in South Africa studied giraffes and tested the general assumption that they evolved their long necks to help them eat leaves off of tall trees, which, of course, they do. But some research now suggests that long necks may actually have something to do with sex. Turns out that male giraffes fight for females by necking. They stand side by side and swing their heads at each other's ribs and legs. Giraffes with the longer, stronger necks are more likely to prevail in these showdowns. And thus, they are more likely to pass down their genes. Researchers know that from a purely biological standpoint, longer legs would have made more sense, since it's somewhat more inefficient for creatures to have their brains so far away from their hearts as giraffes do, and some former vice presidents. So, did giraffes evolve longer necks for sex rather than longer legs? I don't know. Research continues into this area. Anyway, our thanks go to Sarah of Sarah's Hair Salon and Matt Perry, health writer for the Sacramento News and Review and others. We're planning to watch a few documentaries over the rest of the summer and have Matt come back and, uh, and talk with us about them. The one I want to start with is Boogeyman, the Lee Atwater story. Caught part of that on KVIE the other night, and man, was that riveting. Lee Atwater was the guy that taught Carl Rove about political dirty tricks. One could argue that thanks to him, George Herbert Walker Bush defeated Michael Dukakis back in 1988. That certainly makes him a topic worthy of discussion. Speaking of that, we were offered Michael Dukakis as a guest some time back, and I didn't jump on it. We may have to rethink that after we watch the documentary. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. I'm your host, Douglas Everett. We'll see you next week at the same time. If I can get my act together, we're going to try and interview Gerald Nachman about his wonderful book, Raised on Radio. It's not next week. It'll be the week after. The week after that. We'll get to it. We'll see you.